The brilliant marble cathedral exploded into view, its brightness filling up my field of vision. Bold, I crossed to the steps immediately. On my single-minded path, I nearly collided with a man grunting in his hurried effort to leave the foggy grayness of the sinking city behind and enter the vast whiteness of the church through its great dark wooden doors. I half expected the frightening whispers to fill my mind again as I placed a foot unsteadily on the first marble step. The whispers did not return, and as I turned to face the hovel of shadow between bell tower and paving stone I found only dampness and dark, dark made lighter by her absence. I crossed to the spot, drunken irritation overcoming sober nerves. It was empty, empty of fear of panic, of the paralyzing chills of the night before, and empty of Cass. But wait, not completely empty. I reached down and pulled from the damp corner between the walls of the cathedral and the bell tower a well-concealed pile of moistened paper. Lifting it carefully, I recognized it as the book I had often seen clutched in the woman's hands or open in her lap. It had lost both covers in its lifetime, and the spine was loose and threatened to drop its pages with the turn of each leaf. On closer inspection, the book had lost more than its covers, as the top page marked the obvious beginning of Chapter 14, though to me what precious secrets lurked in Chapter 14 remained hidden, for though I know that my head still swam with liquor as I held the half-book in my hands— I swear to this day that the text was written entirely in tidy lines of Greek. I sat on the lowest marble step to steady myself as my head began its inevitable venture towards sobriety. I felt a familiar combination of guilt over wasted money and disappointment at the world's unerring ability to return to a cold, frightening place. The misty rain had paused. A breeze turned a page of the mangled book in my hands. I raised my head at the nervously happy shriek of a child. It reminded me of Angelo. Several small children had grasped the paws in the rain with their small hands and tumbled into the square, some tottering after pigeons, arms outstretched, some racing around after one another, changing the game every moment, grinning at the air in their chests. She looked so similar to them, dashing between and among them, chasing and being chased, that it took several moments for my stomach to drop from my belly and my breath to catch itself violently in my throat. I cringed visibly, her distant presence striking through my soft armor of intoxication. Again I wanted to run, back, back to the tavern, back, even into the whiteness of the cathedral after the gasping man, away, away, she frightened me more now than slouched in the shadows. But again something held my body still. I cannot explain what it was, why I stayed for that last second, why the avalanche of fear sweeping through my very foundations did not carry me away. I could have climbed the very walls of the bell tower to appease the demon inside me. I remember it with an anguish like burned flesh. I am an ordinary man, not old, not young, dark but not handsome honest, but not truthful. I pray, though I do not believe. 
I do not know what made me different than the worried mothers and fathers that dragged their children away when they realized who played with them in the square, or the young couples, hand in hand, that averted their misted eyes and scurried around the outskirts to keep their minds free of the discomfort she caused them. In the second that stumbled into my unremarkable world, I watched the children smile at the beggar woman with the glory they gave to every smile. A toddler snatched at her sleeve and ran away in screaming glee as Cass turned to chase her. The pigeons circled endlessly around her ankles, and as the misty rain closed its curtain again, I saw them, wide-eyed and gurgling, tailing her through the puddles on club feet or no feet or toes grown under, limping and steadfast. I placed the book where I had found it, tucked between stone and stone. Unsure, I turned towards home, but peered over my shoulder as I reached the far side of the great cathedral door. She was there, small and dark. Listen, she gurgled through half-spent tears. My voice was strangled with something other than fear. I turned my back and raised my collar as the rain began to spit with more force at my ragged self, half-drenched with rainwater and half with alcohol. I went home. Two nights later, my son closed his eyes for the last time. A dark thing had come in the night. A dark and ugly, rotten thing had come to lay a blackened egg in Angelo's chest an egg buried too deep to see, that consumed and digested and grew. It ate him as we watched, as he became pale and luminous in his beauty and sickness. The doctor said that the thing had been born with him, that it was a darkness planted long ago in my wife's womb. It was buried so deep beneath my son's rose and white vitality that it could not be seen. He died slowly and quietly, until Angelo was gone and William lay in his place. The service was bright and beautiful, white as the skin on my dead child's face. My black heart had no place there. It was all so terribly wrong to me. My wretched soul wanted the swaths as dark as pitch, the windows smeared with black grease, and the minister grotesque and disfigured as the creature that came in the night to Angelo's bedside. It was grief that visited me, with her many knives, tearing and stabbing and twisting, ripping my body and mind to shredded pieces, until all that was left was the pain and the blood that no one could see. I did not work, and I could not write. I exhausted myself with suffering. I do not know how my wife spent her tears, though I am aware that there were many. I do not know what haunted her dreams when she woke shivering and sobbing in the night. I do not know where she went when she disappeared, sometimes for an entire day. We did not reach for each other during that time. I never held her in my arms to warm grief's cold steel. I came to a place where I felt nothing when I looked at her, nothing when I raised my pen, nothing when my eyelids opened in the morning, and nothing when William's one great marble eye stared up at me, unblinking.
from the ground. They would not take me back to work at the bakery, as another set of capable hands and arms had taken my place. I had no idea how long it had been. The sun no longer rose for me, and I did not notice. We sold things when money ran low. Jewelry, shoes, furniture, things that had once meant much now meant nothing. Nothing moved me. I wanted it all back, the tearing pain of grief, the guilt, the anger, the suffering. I wanted to cry in terror at the nothingness. But I could not. 